praise God. Let's stand up, let's pray, get right in the Word here this morning. Father, bow before you, we thank you for the Word of God, this rich, living Word. As I come to teach it this morning with respect, I thank you, Father, for your anointing upon my mind, that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for a supernatural recall of the Scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from our mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power and love to each person's mind and the sound of my voice, bringing understanding and removing all confusion, and that your word will also enter into every heart, bringing faith, dispelling all fear, for which we give you alone the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that is revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we are continuing our subject title, The Supernatural Power of Intercession. Say that, The Supernatural Power of Intercession. I'm referring to, or this is talking about praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues, and uh, the supernatural power of intercession. This is something that is lost in our church world today. Even though in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, the entire church, every Christian in the book of Acts spoke in tongues. You can trace that through. So whenever you read the book of Acts through, remember, everybody in the book of Acts that was a Christian spoke in tongues. You can clearly see that and prove that. I'll debate anybody on that issue, hands down. So um, now, that was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. It was born that way. It was born in the second chapter of the book of Acts in the upper room. The church was born when the Holy Ghost came down and they all spoke in tongues, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all the brothers of Jesus that were in that room as well. So now it's wonderful to be receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. It's wonderful. And it's wonderful to be able to pray in tongues. But there's a greater measure, a greater level, a far, far more mature level of prayer, and that's called intercession, intercession. And very few people understand this art of intercession. Very few, very few Christians. That's why this world is in a mess that it's in today. That's why. If God was going to fix this on his own without our help, it would have been fixed. If everybody was going to get saved without us involved, without our prayers, everybody would have been saved. If it was all up to God, the job would have been done and Jesus would have come, we're all gone in the rapture. That's right. It's not all up to God. That's why this world's in a mess. That's right. You see, without intercessory prayer, this cannot change. Praying the prayer of faith alone is not going to do it. Exercising our spiritual authority in the name of Jesus alone is not going to do it. You see, all that works perfect for you when you are believing God for your own needs. The prayer of faith works for yourself. 
if you want to include somebody else, they need to be in, in agreement with you. Because their will has something to do with it. You can't just pray your will over somebody else. God won't violate someone else's will. So you have to get them in agreement. Matthew 8, 18. Matthew 18, 18. Uh, you have to get uh, them to agree in prayer. And if they agree, then you can pray on their behalf. The prayer of faith, that is. But with the prayer of intercession, you can change their life. Because when you intercede in the Spirit, the Holy Ghost goes to that person and starts negotiating with them, communicating with them, uh, and, and, and pushing back, lifting the forces of darkness that are blinding their minds, and starts working with them, massaging their thinking, helping them uh, see reason, and, and, and dealing with their heart. And then eventually, the light comes, and they see the error of their ways, and they accept Christ as Savior, and they come to church. So God will plead with them and work with them and keep doing that while we pray in the Holy Ghost. Even when we stop praying, God will continue. But the point is, it's only through intercession that you can change somebody in your family who's in bondage to drugs or alcohol or, or, or pornography. There's only through intercession that you can get them free. It's only through intercession that you can get somebody saved, a family or friend, by calling their name and interceding and travailing in the Spirit for them. They will change if you'll keep at it. It's only through intercession, child of God, that we can change a nation, a city, and the world. Prayer faith won't do it. It'll work for you and your needs, but not for others. Yes, there will come a time in your praying that the Spirit of God will lead you to exercise authority and command Satan to release them and so on and so on. And I'll talk about that as we go along in the series. I'll show you how I did that in certain times and how it worked in a practical way and what happened, the results of it. So we'll get to that. But the point I'm trying to make now is vitally important for us to understand the value of intercession and get back to it as a church worldwide. You see? Something else here the Holy Spirit wants me to say. I've said this before. I think I'm going to say it again. When um, Dr. Cho, a few years ago, about 30 years ago, had gathered a bunch of ministers. Now, Dr. Cho has the largest church in the world, uh, over a million people in his church in uh, Korea, South Korea, Seoul, South Korea. And um, I'm a member of his board. And um, he got up in front of the ministers and he pointed to a huge map and he said, put his finger on Pensacola and he said, there'll be a a revival come out of Pensacola and will impact the whole world. How many of you remember that revival? Pensacola revival. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit there. And then he said, he pointed his finger and put his finger on San Antonio, said after that the next revival will come from San Antonio. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
No revival has ever taken place, and I'm talking about a worldwide sweeping revival of thousands coming to Christ. No revival has ever taken place in history without intercessory prayer. Right? There's been a group of people who've prayed and prayed and prayed, understood the art of praying intercessory prayer, and revival broke out. Then here's another thing. Jesus said in Mark 16, Jesus said, these signs will follow the believer, right? And then he said that the signs follow the preaching of the word. You got that? Jesus said that, Mark 16, in the chapter. Signs and wonders, miracles, and whatever have you, follow what? The preaching of the word. When Jesus went to his own hometown, the Bible said he could not do any mighty works there. He could not. It didn't say he didn't want to. He tried and couldn't. Why? It says because of their unbelief. Because they recognized him as the carpenter. They didn't see him as the Messiah and Christ and doing the miracles. So they didn't believe in him, so they didn't get any miracles in his hometown, Nazareth. It's in the Bible, right? Okay, you read that? Okay. Could not. So what did he do to solve the problem? The Bible says right there, he went around in a circuit teaching right there in Nazareth. He went around teaching the word. Get their faith, signs follow. Now here's the thing. If we don't teach on this subject, no one's going to come to intercessory prayer. The prayer ministry signs follow the teaching of the Word. So you're going to have revival. Before that, you're going to have intercessory prayer. Before that, you're going to have teaching on the subject. You see that? And that's why the Holy Ghost has not let me sleep properly until I've taught on this series. I've taught a whole of last, part of last year on, on the Holy Spirit, and now I'm teaching on the very mature depth of the subject in these next few sessions. And this series, there's six parts in this series on the supernatural power of intercession. There's six parts in this series. And this is part two today. I'm teaching this, and it's going to be shown in all of our 84 Bible schools around the world. So about 3,500 students who are studying to be pastors and ministers and evangelists are going to be trained with this very course because the world's got to hear about intercession and the church has got to get back into intercession in these last days. Amen? God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? That's not going to happen without just staying and waiting for it to happen. We've got to pray it in. And God knew the end time church would pray that in. That's why he put that in the Bible. Are you tracking me? All right. So let's begin then. That was my introduction. All right. Today I would like to focus on what is praying in the Spirit. I mean, what is intercession? What is it? Because folks don't understand what that is. Before I get into how to intercede, which will start next weekend, today I'm going to be talking about what is it. All right. So what is the meaning of the word intercession? Intercession, in its simplest definition, is someone who stands on behalf of another 
An intercessor is one who takes the place of another. It's more than just praying for someone. It's actually taking their place in prayer, praying for them on their behalf as if you were them. For example, a lawyer is one who represents another person who pleads their case in court. So the lawyer would plead your case in court on your behalf, standing in your place. Likewise, in a spiritual sense, an intercessor is one who stands on behalf of another to plead their case in prayer. Intercessors know the law of the new covenant and therefore are able to represent others in prayer before God. This was the role of the Levitical priesthood in the Old Covenant. And this is the role of the church in the New Covenant. You'll see that in 1 Peter 2 verse 5. I'm not going there now. It tells us that we are holy priests unto God and that we offer spiritual sacrifices in this session. All right, so let's look at the Old Testament example of the prayer of intercession. First one we'll look at is Abraham, who interceded for Lot. Abraham spoke to God on behalf of Lot, and Lot dwelt in the city of Sodom, and Lot was his nephew. Now, long before Jesus was born in a manger, long before Mary gave birth to Jesus in a manger, and he walked the earth in a human body, Long before that, hundreds and hundreds of years before that, he appeared to Abraham here in Genesis 18, just before destroying the city of Sodom, all right? He comes to talk to Abraham about his plans. Have a look at this in verse 17. I'd like you to follow me in your Bible. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Now skip down to verse 23. Abraham reproached the Lord and said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city of Sodom. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Now go down to verse 31. And Abraham said, Indeed, now I have, st- I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then Abraham said, Lord, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I'll not destroy the city for the sake of the ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now Abraham asked God not to destroy the city if he found ten righteous people. And Abraham stopped when he, praying, talking to God and acceding, at 10 people. Now what if Abraham had continued to ask or intercede on behalf of the city and uh, didn't stop? What if he'd gone lower? Perhaps the city would not have been destroyed. Perhaps it would not have been destroyed. But we know God rescued Lot and his wife 
and his two daughters. We know they came out before he destroyed the city. Example number two, Moses interceded on behalf of Israel. Moses is a great example of someone who made an intercession on behalf of Israel. Moses had a deep desire to see the children of Israel walk in the will of God for their lives. Let's go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32 and verse 7 in your Bible. Now, we're about to read where Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And God wrote the Ten Commandments on the rock face and cut them out into two pillars of stone. Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. God obviously sustained him supernaturally. Now, this is what happens in verse 7. The Lord told Moses, after he had got the two tablets of stone in his hands, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from, from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So now, think about this. Moses was away for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites, three million of them, at the foot of Mount Sinai, were left alone. And this is what they did in that time. God says to Moses, he doesn't know this, Moses doesn't know this, God's telling him, how quickly they have turned away from the way I command them to live. They have mounted down gold and made a calf. And they have bowed down and sacrificed to this gold calf. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This gold calf rained down plagues on Egypt, poured the Red Sea, and drowned the Egyptian army. <laughs> Worship your gold god. You wonder how anybody can be that dumb and still breathe. Verse 9. Then the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. Now Moses steps up into intercession, into, into intercession in the Old Testament way. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt? with such great power and such a strong hand. Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Now, as we carry on reading this morning, we will in a moment, we'll see that Moses came before God using the words of the covenant that he made, that God made with Abraham. Uh, he quotes the covenant, right? As he pleads with God not to destroy the people of Israel. Let's see that then in verse 13. Moses says to God, Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You found yourself, you bound yourself with an oath. You bound yourself with a covenant. To them saying, 
I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. When Moses said that, verse 14 says, So the Lord changed his mind, and the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on these people. So Moses got God to change his mind. He interceded for the nation of Israel. They down there don't realize they came that close to being wiped out. <laughs> All right, example number three. The prophet Samuel interceded on behalf of Israel. Israel asked God for a king, and God reluctantly gave them a king. So Israel wanted a king. They never had a king up to that point. They had judges in land would judge them. It was a prophet that God used to make judge, put him in charge. And God spoke to the prophet, to the judge, and he would guide the nation. But they wanted a king like the Gentile nations wanted a, had a king. And they kept nagging and nagging. Eventually, God gave them what they wanted. God gave them what they wanted. Amazing, isn't it? And God gave them King Saul. Now, Samuel, who was the judge of Israel, and he was a prophet, was retiring from leading the nation. We're about to read his retirement address to the nation. He says he will continue to intercede on behalf of Israel. Watch this. He says, I'll continue interceding for you. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Samuel says to the nation of Israel in his retirement address, As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. I will just tell them I'm in a meeting. I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. Isn't that amazing? I read that and I thought, Lord, is it a sin not to pray? But doesn't God say we must make we must pray for the leaders and the kings and all those in authority and pray for all people everywhere? Didn't God say that? Question, was that a recommendation? Or could it be an instruction? What, how thinkest thou? Was that an instruction or a recommendation? If you feel like doing it, right? Is that what he said? No. So, is it a sin then not to obey God? We're not sure about that. Are we not sure about that? Are we? <laughs> Say this, it's a sin not to pray for other people. Amen. Amen. Okay. So he says, as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. I will continue interceding for Israel. And I'll continue to teach you what is good and right. So we read about the compassion of Samuel for his people here. God's intercessors know God's heart for his lost creation. I'm saying God's intercession, uh, God's intercessors know God's heart for God's lost creation. I didn't say God's lost children. Because none of the unsaved are God's children. Right? They're children of the devil. Jesus said the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the strict leaders of the spiritual, the spiritual leaders, Jesus said to them, your father is the devil. 
right? Is that what he said? That's what he said. And we know that those who are not born again, Satan is their God. And he controls them, the Bible says. He controls them. So, intercession breaks that control. Brings them into the kingdom. So, um, we have God's heart for the lost. God so loved the lost world that he gave his only begotten son for them so they will not perish but have everlasting life. So God has a great compassion. Even though they're not his children, we are. They are not. He has tremendous compassion for the lost. And it breaks God's heart for every soul that goes to hell. Amen? So he wants us to stand there in the, in, the, in the gap for them. The main function of the old covenant priestly office was intercession. And we read time and again how Israel broke God's covenant, which, in, which resulted in a curse coming upon the nation. God does not delight in judgment. He delights in mercy. Say that. God is a merciful God. Again, God is a merciful God. Micah 7 verse 18. Let's look at that. Where is another God like you who pardons the sins of the survivors among his people? You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. So that God delights in showing mercy. You see, we need, we need never be afraid to come to God when we've messed up. We need never be afraid to come to God when we mess up. That's why he says, come boldly to my throne of grace. To find grace, to find help, to find mercy in your time of need. Don't run from God when you mess up. It doesn't matter how bad you mess up. Come to God for mercy. He delights in showing mercy. Once more, say that. God delights in showing mercy. Ezekiel 33.11. Ezekiel 33.11. Write that down. God says, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? So God looked for an intercessor to stand the gap, God looked for someone to stand the gap for Israel so he could not judge them. Let's see that in Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So God needs us to pray before he is able to change the sinner's heart and lead them to repentance he cannot do it without our prayers. So God said, I looked for somebody, anybody, who would stand the gap and pray on behalf of Israel, like Moses did, like Abraham did. So I do not destroy them. I didn't find anybody. Didn't find anybody. You see, family, God doesn't want to judge the world. He wants us to intercede for them to be saved. God is a merciful God. 
Intercession places a demand on God's mercy. Said that intercession places a demand on God's mercy on behalf of a person or peoples or a situation. That's what it does. God is a God of mercy and does not want anybody to be lost for eternity. The New Testament says the same thing in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, Jesus is our great intercessor. We're looking at different examples of intercession. We looked at Abraham, we looked at Moses, and we looked at Samuel the prophet. But now we're going to look at Jesus, who is the greatest intercessor in all of history. We'll show you how that happened. All right. For this purpose, the Son was manifest to destroy, undo the works of the wicked one, according to 1 John 3, 8. So he came to the earth to undo what Satan has done. He has come to the earth to stop the devil's rampage. Now go to Isaiah 59, verse 17. We'll see how he did this. Because Satan has destroyed the human race, right? So Jesus had to come to the earth. We'll find out what he did here now. Find Isaiah 59, 19. I'd like you to follow me in your Bible here with this verse. It's very important you see it in your own Bible, this particular verse. Otherwise, you probably won't be able to grasp what we're going to see here. Now, this particular verse, family, is very strong meat, okay? Very strong meat. This is not the milk of the word. This is the meat of the word. Are you ready for this? You got your chewing teeth in? <laughs> okay. Isaiah 59, 17. Have you found it now? This is about Christ. Christ put on righteousness. This is long before he came to the earth in the human body. Christ put on righteousness as his body armor. This is talking about what he will do when he comes, being born of the virgin. This is doing, talking about what he will do when he comes. He put on righteousness as his body armor. Isn't that what we read in in, in Ephesians, 4, uh, Ephesians 6, 11, the breastplate of righteousness, put on the whole armor of God. So he put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Isn't that what he told to do? The helmet of salvation on the head in Ephesians 4. This is New Testament. This is now in the Old Testament. This is where actually, this is where when Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, he is quoting from this verse. This is what he's writing about. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robes of vengeance and godly fury. He clothed himself with the robes of vengeance and godly fury. What's that about? Well, as I said, we read about this in Ephesians 6 verse 11. And that is the Lord's personal armor. This is put on the whole armor of God. That's the armor of the Lord Jesus Christ that we wear. You see? We wear. We are, we are if I describe Peter uh, Cox, Dr. Peter Cox to you, or I describe my wife to you, I'd tell you about them. 
But if I want to talk about Jesus and tell you who he is, I'm going to say he's complete righteousness, his complete holiness, his complete power, his complete wisdom, his complete love. That's who he is. You got me? Now I've told you about Jesus. That's who he is. So now watch this. So Jesus put on the robes of vengeance against Satan. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. What's this about? This is telling us that he stood in his righteousness on our behalf and paid our sin debt. He stood in his righteousness on our behalf to pay our sin debt. Because he was without sin, God could punish him for our sin. God could not punish anybody who has sinned for our sin. He had to find a sinless person to punish, and he was the only one. He stood in his own righteousness to intercede for us to take our sin. Now, look at Isaiah 53, verse 12. Um, let me go back to this. Jesus put on his robes of vengeance, his robes of vengeance against Satan. That's what it was for. The robe of vengeance was to come against Satan to undo the works of the devil. Because when he died on the cross, he also defeated Satan. He conquered Satan. He conquered sin, Satan. He conquered sickness and poverty. He conquered eternal death. He conquered all of our enemies through the cross. He put on vengeance. He fought on our behalf. Fought our enemies. Isaiah 53, 12. He poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made an intercession for the transgressors. And made what? Intercession for the transgressors. Can you say that word, intercession? So that Jesus was the great intercessor. So obviously no one else could take his place. No one else could do what he did when he took our place on the cross. He is our mediator between God and man. Mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So now what is a mediator then? Well, I looked it up in E.W. Vine's Expository Dictionary. Now, just to get the full clarification of the word mediator. Now, what is E.W. Vine's? It's a dictionary. It takes Hebrew and English and translates it to English, just like Young's and Strong's concordances do. So, in the E.W. Vine's Dictionary, when you read about the mediator, you'll read this. The word mediator is used in two different ways in the New Testament. Firstly, mediator is one who mediates between two parties with the view of producing peace between them. With the view of producing peace between them. So Christ mediated between God and man and brought peace between us. You got it? All right. The second thought of the word media to describe, describe what it means is a media is one who acts as a guarantee. He acts as a guarantee so as to secure something that otherwise would not be obtained. 
to secure something that otherwise would not be obtained. So let's just say I signed surety for Fred Bloggs to go and buy something because he didn't have any credit. And that means I would now be responsible for him if he fails to pay. Right? That's what a guarantee does. So Christ knows we couldn't pay our debt and he became our guarantee. We are forgiven because of him. Amen? He secured something that could otherwise not be obtained. Jesus, our guarantee, he secured salvation for us that could not be obtained any other way. Only by him going to the cross as our intercessor could bring mankind back into fellowship with God. I'm going to say that again. Only by him going to the cross as our intercessor could bring back mankind into fellowship with God. And there's enough there to chew on. That's enough strong meat for today. <laughs> All right. So we'll carry on next week. Are we learning something about intercession? Okay. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So now it would be proper for us now, since we are learning about this, to actually have a practical experience of how this works. So I'm going to invite the worship team up on the platform and we are going to have the musicians play softly for us while we pray in the spirit here for just two or three minutes. I'd like you to get a feeling or a practical experience of how to pray in tongues. And before we start, let me say this. I don't want anybody to embarrass. No one's going to be embarrassed. If you can't pray in tongues, no one needs to know. You just pray in your home language. That's all you do. We'll pray in tongues and no one's going to look at you. We're all going to close our eyes and pray. So let's stand up and let's do this. And um, so you pray in your home language if you can't pray in tongues. But at least you'll get to experience what's happening. And then I'm going to Invite those who are ready to receive the Holy Spirit and don't speak in tongues, be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. I invite you to come to the front here. And in the front, I'm going to have all the pastors that are present this morning and the fellowship group leaders that are present this morning to come to the front to pray for those who would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. While we pray, you can be ministered to and the music is going to play beautifully in the background here for us. And I'm going to pray over this microphone. So I'm going to ask the present worship team to pray with me if you can. All righty then. So this is how we do it. This is how we're going to pray now. You could be praying for your uncle, your auntie, your mother, your father, your children. Possibly even I prayed this way for our kids when they were back and running in nightclubs in South Africa as teenagers. And God rescued them, brought them out of that. Today they're both pastors, ordained ministers, and preach in this church. But intercession did that. You can pray for unsaved people. You can pray this way for, for uh, your whole family, people at work that you work with. And they'll change 
they'll change, they'll get saved. You can pray this way for San Antonio, for America. This morning, I'm going to invite us to pray for America and San Antonio, and let's include South Africa. So let's do this then. This is how we introduce it before we start praying. Say this with me. Dear Father in heaven, I stand today in the place of San Antonio's unbelievers. The unbelievers and unsaved in America and the problems of South Africa. And I intercede on their behalf for you to pour out your mercy and your grace upon them and bring your plan to pass in all of this as only you can. You can unscramble any egg and we trust you. It's too loud. It's too loud, guys. Way too loud. And we trust you to do it now. Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name, we heal to you to intercede now through us. By your power and wisdom, let's pray. Lift your voices and pray out loud. Let's go. Komburu sabra bikenda barasokoru shimbla mankaya blakido embromuru sanga baridikai losomuru mankambari kendi kia barama kibla kosoru kia baba kerabasaya brakokoru ka baba kibrosoru mo kamara bekidaya kemrosoru shikendi kibra makaya bakokoboru bikendi Enorona manka, riso brukushi, blaka sandaya, embromuru, malanakiris, lekado, monguru, reke, malalak, embromushi, rikes, lalamikop, ambara, herineke, rokosuru, jekab, molo mangaya, keble kasaya, kovorudika. Come forward if you want to receive the Holy Spirit. Kela mangara sikendi. Gimbru Suru Mangaya, Opokula, Manga Bridika, Omburunesekai, Blakamolo Bushida, Lekendos, Amahaya, Embrokula. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God. I'd like to encourage you to join 
a prayer group in this church. And we've got plenty prayer groups. There's probably one right near your house. So I'm going to invite you to go right there after the service. I'm closing now. Uh, and we'll have all the fellowship group, the prayer group leaders there in that wall. And you've got to go and see where, they look, where, their, where their groups are, find out where their groups are, and, and choose one to join. Go once a week and pray. If you will go there, they'll help you. They'll help you pray in tongues. They'll help you grow in this. And uh, you will be able to change the lives of people around you in a wonderful way. This lost art of praying and accessory prayer has got to come back to America. I feel like since... What did we learn last week? It was 11% of people attend church or 17% of people attend church every week in America. I said, when I heard that, I didn't realize it was that low. I said to Pastor Bill, I said, I feel like God sent us here as missionaries to America. (laughs) The nation has supported more missionaries than all other countries combined in the history of the world. The nation has sent out more missionaries around the world than, any, than all other countries combined now needs missionaries itself. And you are going to be used by God, I believe, to give birth to a mighty revival in America. Amen.